Hey, Graceland family and guests, my name is Nate Milliken, and I serve as a husband, dad, pastor alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley, as well as serving full-time with the North American Mission Board overseeing church planting. Hey, we are in our last sermon in this Engage with God series, and I think personally a providential time as we talk about prayer and listening and hearing and talking to God. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, so if you have your hard copy of God's Word or your smartphone, go ahead and turn there, and I've got a guest with me, my, my son, my favorite son, my only son. He's going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, so if you will, go ahead and stand. If you're in the kitchen, office, family room, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us as our of our debts, and also have we forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hey, this is God's word to you and to me. May God bless the preaching and the teaching and the hearing of it. You may be seated. All right, buddy, you're good. You can take that if you will, buddy. Hey, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, we see this commitment of prayer, and really it's the supreme matter in all of our lives, for us to realize that our relationship with God is the most important thing in our life. So I want to talk to a couple individuals personally. I think about Peyton Jones and Anna Lowe and Carter Mock and Lydia Milliken and Winnie Jones and Kathy Rawlings. Life looks different for you guys as well as many other people in our church. No prom, uh, no graduation, at least not the way that we've seen it. No fourth grade celebration, Lydia. Um, recreation, sports, uh, Awana, Carter, Winnie and Kathy interacting with people in the church that bring refreshment for your souls. Things are looking different, and this might be a new normal. And so a commitment of prayer, a commitment of dependence is seen ever increasingly in this time because there's lots of things that were part of the landscape of our life that are not just there. They're not there anymore. So what do we do? And so I want to encourage you. I want to refresh you. I hopefully want to challenge you to keep your hearts and minds set upon Jesus. They ask there in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus, teach us to pray. What they were saying was, Jesus, we want to pray as you do. We want to know God as you do, so teach us to pray like you do. You seem to have a very intimate, close relationship with the Father. And probably like you and like me, I'm quite often dissatisfied with my own prayer relationship and I want to grow independence. As we have said so often, we're defining prayer as a commitment of dependence and a cry for relationship. Timothy Keller even calls it delighting in a conversation like you would in a dinner conversation with good friends. And so what Jesus is doing, he's giving us direction for our prayers. And I want you to notice the, the order of the prayers from which my son Samuel read just a moment ago. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And so often as the case in my life, not sure about yours, we start with requests and supplications and our needs and our wants and our desires. But the posture that we need to have is to increasingly lift our eyes upward. That's what the psalmist says. Lift your eyes from where your help comes from we got to get things right vertically so horizontally we can see our circumstances rightly. That's so crucial in my life. This 
Lord's Prayer and really the disciples' prayer is said and given some instructions in contrast to what some of the religious leaders were doing. He just got done saying, don't pray long-winded prayers. Don't use a lot of fancy words. Don't be out in public on the street corner bringing attention to yourself. And what he's doing, he's trying to give a model for followers of Jesus and how we should pray, how we should talk to the Father, how we should exemplify dependence. And in the very beginning, an understanding is this, that there should be a primacy, a preoccupation, a dominance of God in all things. We see what Jesus is saying. When you come to God in prayer, even though you may have some circumstances that create a sense of desperation in your life and some legitimate concerns in your life, and we do, don't we? Some of us watching this and some of us um, at Graceland and friends and family members, our neighbors, we've lost jobs, we've lost hours, we've lost clients. There is a tangible uncertainty about the day's weeks, and months to come. And he says, essentially, stop just for a moment and remind your heart and your mind about the Father who will sustain us in the midst of these difficult times. He says that God has your, become your Father now through Jesus, right? John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received them, who received Jesus, who believed in the name of the Son of God, He gave you the right to become children of God, and we call God Father. He says, hallowed be your name. It means to revere or keep holy. And think about who God is. Throughout the Bible, we see God using names to convey who He is. El or Elohim convey His power or His majesty or His might. He's giving people a sense of His might, His power, His majesty, or Jehovah, the self-existent one. He's always existed. And there are other names like the Lord will provide, the Lord heals, the Lord is our peace, the Lord is our shepherd, or the Lord is present. He's near. He's not far. Hallowed be your name is an expression of a burning and deep desire for God to be known in our hearts and around us. So here's what I'd like you to do for about 30 seconds. I'd like you to ask the question to your own heart or the people that you've gathered with as you're watching this sermon. What is a truth or a characteristic of God that brings you comfort in the midst of these times where we're anxious or fearful? So just take a moment, ask the question, what's a promise of God or a characteristic of God that brings you comfort in the midst of this time? Jesus moves on in this prayer that he gives to the disciples and says, your kingdom come. He's saying, bring your sovereign rule and saving rule in my life and in the lives of those around me. It's a missionary prayer that Jesus is saying and giving to his followers that would reach deep down into our hearts. Your kingdom come, not only in my heart, but in the hearts of all those around me, that they would see and hear who you are. 
they are speaking about seeing Jesus' rule and reign being advanced in their lives and lives around them. In fact, that's really an accurate way to describe what it means to be a Christian. That before you became a Christian, you did not submit and surrender to the rule and the reign of Jesus. But a Christian is somebody who says, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I cannot bring forgiveness of my sins in and of myself. No matter what I do, no matter what meritorious achievements, no, how, no, no matter how accomplished I am or religious I am or moral I am, we cannot remove the stain of sin. So we need the lordship, the kingship, the saviorship of Jesus. And we simply say, Jesus, will you save me? Will you forgive me? I want to trust in you. Let your kingdom come into my heart. And as people who have submitted to the king, we want that kingdom to go out into our neighborhoods and generations and nations. He moves on in verse 11, as you'll see in the Bible. He says, give us our daily bread. He's speaking about spiritual food and physical food. Our reliance should be in God and no one else. Not in a 401k, not in material things, not in a job, not even in our own family. And certainly a lot of us can attest to that truth. I don't in any way want to be insensitive or lacking compassion or mercy in the midst of some very difficult times. And I want you to know, Grace and family and friends and guests, we're here to serve you, to love you, to not just give you lip service. If there are ways that we can tangibly come alongside you, we would be honored and privileged to do so to the degree that we can actually do that. But we are a community of believers. And now more than ever, we rally around to meet spiritual and physical needs. The church is being unleashed to help live out the truth of this prayer. He goes on in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Sin creates an obligation or a debt that we cannot pay. The Bible tells us that in Jesus, the debt was paid through his death burial and resurrection. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that the debt of sin was nailed to the cross for your sins and my sins and for our spiritual benefit and for our salvation. And in Him, we have freedom and forgiveness. We've been rescued through the truth of the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection. And we've been forgiven. And so that same forgiveness that we have received by grace through faith in Jesus we are to extend to others. And one of the measures or metrics, if you will, to discern have we believed and are we continuing to believe and live out the Christian faith is this. Are we giving forgiveness to other people? You say, well, you don't know what they've done. You don't know what they haven't done. I don't need to know, my friend. Because the standard of forgiveness is as a, has, has a person received the forgiveness that is ours in Christ through faith. And what have we done to Jesus? How we've rebelled and turned our backs and wanted to live our lives for ourselves. And yet Jesus in his grace and mercy and kindness and compassion gives us himself. And now we have the esteemed privilege to actually being little Jesuses to other people. As we cancel debts and say, Jesus has canceled my debt. I want to cancel your debt as well. What a tremendous opportunity we have to be Jesus to the people around us. He goes on in this prayer in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. I read this poem. Let me read this to you. I thought it was encouraging. Here's what this poet says. In all the strife of mortal life, our feet shall stand securely. Temptation's hour shall lose its power, for thou shalt guard us surely. O God, renew our body, soul, and spirit until we stand at at thy right hand through Jesus' saving merit. And we know this is true. Jesus, keep our hearts from wandering down paths where we will be tempted. But when we are tempted, help us to remember that you are faithful to not only uh, be gracious and kind to us, but to give us a way out of that temptation. It's a verse that Bubba Whitaker and Zach Pritchard and I memorized weeks ago to remind us of the faithfulness of God that in the midst of temptation to be unkind or to not trust God, or to be doubtful, or to be fearful, or to be jealous, or to worry. God, in that moment, gives us grace to say no to that and to trust in His provision. Jesus saves us, guards us, empowers us through grace to say no to temptation, anger, impatience, annoyance, lustfulness, and jealousy. Real struggles, real emotions that are going on in your life, and in my life, and the victory is ours because the victory has already taken place through the resurrection. And that victory is yours and it's mine. At the bottom of your Bibles, as I close, you'll most likely have a little footnote in most of your Bibles. And it probably says something like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What does that mean? It's not a phrase where we hope these things will come to fruition. It acknowledges that what we just read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, actually are true, which means we don't need to worry, we don't need to be anxious about the future if we are God's kids. All too often I find myself doubting, is God going to take care of me? Maybe you too, I worry about my little kingdom, my prestige, my wants, And Jesus' kingdom is sure and certain. His power is sufficient for all circumstances, yours and mine, and ultimately He will prevail. He just wants us to come to Him in dependence. And I am aware more in this day and age of my dependence upon Jesus than I have been in a long time. A commitment to prayer, delight, relationship, dependence is seen here in this text. It addresses the full range of human need. Jesus calls us to take all of our needs to Him. We pray for daily bread, and the Creator meets our needs. We pray for forgiveness, and the Son of God meets that need as we turn to Jesus in faith. We seek deliverance from evil, and the Spirit of God meets our moral need by leading us away from temptation. In the Lord's prayer, but really your prayer and my prayer, God meets us and brings himself to us. I love you, Grace and family. A commitment to prayer. May our lives be tethered to God as we cry out in relationship and a commitment of dependence, as we delight in our Father.